Welcome to the Up The Cream podcast, episode 24. I'm Dan Tomlinson. I'm joined, as always, by Rich Harrison, a.k.a. Pommy. Rich, how are you doing, pal? I'm very, very well. I can't really work out why that is. I think we had some some sort of big win on Saturday, didn't we? Um, yeah, some small, ignific- insignificant suburban pub team, yeah, doing the dirty over and again, uh, 23-22. It wasn't bad, that, was it? It wasn't bad at all, was it? Um, and look, 23-22 flatters the hell out of them, given that we had three perfectly good tries disallowed. Um, yeah, um, a really, really good result, and a, and a result we had to grind out in the end, and, and grind it out we did, which was great. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think we were great. We did enough. I thought our spine is a, obviously a huge part and reasoning to why whole FC managed to pull that win out of the bag. Obviously, Jake Connor coming back was outstanding. Uh, obviously, it allows Mark Smith to play his natural game at first receiver. I thought Josh Reynolds popped up and had some nice touches as well. And, you know, Danny Alton, give him some credit, looked much more comfortable. As I say, with his 76 and his one out there, and you can see what it means to him at the end. Obviously, that was his 34th derby appearance. So, you know, after giving him some, a little bit of criticism, I'll give him some praise as well when it's warranted. Uh, obviously, Manu Mao was outstanding, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. The scoreline massively flattered them. We were definitely better than... Than one point, and and we didn't really even hit top gear either. We didn't, we didn't. I suppose we didn't need to. We had very limited opportunities to score, and we, when we did get those opportunities, we were ruthless. Absolutely, and, and you know, in, in praise of Danny Houtman and and, and in praise of our spine uh, in general. I think you said at the, at the time, um, you know, the, the try for Swift um, on the wing there literally went, uh, or it might have been one of Farima's tries actually. Yeah, Farima. Yeah. Yeah, nine, seven, six, one. Bang. Yeah. You know? Perfect. Absolutely textbook perfect. Uh, and, you know, that's what you want, isn't it? I mean, that's that's all you can ask for from, from your spine is to do that. And, and you know, that was a, a really good example of, of when we get it right, we got it really right, which was which was fantastic. Absolutely. You know, and I think I said, I said, you know, at one point, I think I, said, I, t- I tweeted at half time, you know, 10 sets on our line and they scored twice. We had five sets in their half. We scored three times and had two tries disallowed. Yeah, the Super League entertainers. Yeah, just couldn't get over our line, mate. It's just brilliant defence. Yeah, we conceded 22 points, but from the amount of possession they had, by rights, a better team would have scored 40 points. You know, and the errors we made, we made because we were exhausted. Those errors were made under extreme fatigue, especially when they kept getting, you know, um, repeat set after repeat set after repeat set on our line. To, to, to come away at half-time leading was an incredible performance. Yeah, I completely agree with that, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there was there was a lot of um, errors, obviously, that creeped in when we were coming out of yardage, and, and you're right, they were directly off the back of Hull defending their line and obviously prevailing in that. I mean, our goal line defence was, was very good. You look at the you know the surging possession that Rovers had in that first half. There's no way that we should have gone up six points in front at sixteen ten. I mean, no talk about character and you know obviously all those gritty traits that Brett Hodgson's rediscovered at LFC. I mean, they all came to the fore then. I think defensively we were, we were very good, and it was hilarious when they had you know five back to back sets on our line. They couldn't get over barring a you know one of those absolutely ridiculous one handed leaping finishes from Jimmy Carnost and you know take me out off him. To there, these wingers are mesmerising. How they actually do that and the athleticism is 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 nothing yeah, short of incredible. And we see it across the board, yeah. don't we? In both competitions. Right. You're right. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna concede a try, you concede it so wide that the kicks now are impossible, and that's what we did. Yeah, exactly. And, and I must admit, it did make me laugh when uh, 
the drop goal attempt when it was four all because they couldn't get over our line. You know that these branded, you know, they're entertainers of soap league, aren't they? And they were trying to drop goals because they can't get over the LFC line. It was brilliant. And, exactly. Uh, and then you know we got the other end of the field and, and take our chances. You know the, the the try that never was for for um, for Cam Scott was a try that went back that ball went backwards. There is no way that Carlos's try should have been. Um, uh, rubbed out because apparently Reynolds, you know, he can't, he can't in, in that um, in, in that circumstance. The, the player is supporting the player with the ball. He cannot disappear. What's he supposed to do? Stop running? No, you don't stop running. If anything, he, he was shoulder to shoulder with the defender. The defender just threw himself at him to try and win the penalty because he knew he was never going to get to the, the man with the ball. It was, to be honest, play acting. You know, it, it was it was awful. Um, and you know, we we could have could and should have probably gone up. You know, another twelve points ahead at halftime. Yeah. Um. Again. Yeah. The the video of leaves a lot to be desired, doesn't it? And I don't know if it's the actual, you know, the laws of the game that need reevaluating, or the actual guidelines that are coming down from those in charge of the refereeing societies to obviously you like to Liam Moore's or in this case Ben Thurley, your video ref because. There's no way that Adam Swift patted that down forwards. You can see it clear as day. He leaps up, he pats it down, it goes backwards. It's never a knock on in a million years. I completely agree with Josh Reynolds. You can't just you can't just move out the way. He's supporting the ball carrier. Again, I look at it. If if he's got the ball and and B's in support and I'm I'm the defender and I'm stupid enough to clive with B, that's my problem as defender. You should not penalise the attacker because of that. And you're absolutely right. Sean Kenny Dow made an absolute meal of it. He should go like yeah. join some bloody acting club or something because that was absolutely sensational the way he just cladded into Reynolds I'm not a massive fan of Sky's commentary right Um, and and pundits and and evaluators and everything but you know everybody in that commentary box basically went no two tries there well, yeah, exactly. Uh, even on yeah. Twitter as well, we had like I remember the witness uh, player Danny Craven was like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm done with rugby league, absolute joke." I was like, you know, the, <laughs> anyone who's played the game will know that. You, obviously, you, you push your ball carriers, you, you support your mate, and if <laughs> if you did, if you're a defender and you're stupid enough to make the wrong decision, how can you penalise the attacking team because of that? It's yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's like uh, we see it all the time with the. Uh, the obstruction tries out the rule out when a defender literally will milk it when the lead runner don't come all the way through and they'll make contact with him and they'll hit the deck and you see the try chopped off. It must have been, it happens more in the NRL than it was in Soapley, but it's an absolute farce. So like you, you, you get, you're rewarding poor defensive decisions. It's as simple as that. Yes, no, no, I, t- I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, it's, um, it's a blight on the game, but um, look, to be honest, at, at least it didn't affect, at least it didn't affect the, um, the, the outcome on on uh, on Saturday. At least we still won. Um, I have to say that there's, um, you know, the, the again that rears its head that kind of that uncertainty about when do you stop a game when a player's injured. You know, when you had Sims reeling around the pitch and throwing himself all over the place, and you know, bless him if if he did do his Achilles, which it looked like he did, for him to get up and try and run back in the defensive line, that that would have hurt. That would have hurt a lot. But, you know, throwing himself around and everything. Referee shouldn't have stopped play. You know, there was no doctor on the pitch. There was nobody saying stop play. He wasn't interfering with play, particularly. I mean, Hull were quite smart and ran towards him because they knew there was going to be a hole in the defensive line there. But the referee can't stop play for something like that in the same way that they didn't stop play when, when Griffin did his in the semi-final of the Cup. You know, it, it the you can only stop playing when a, do- a doctor says there's a problem here and I need to attend to this guy because there's a welfare issue for the player. 
And there's no doctor saying that because it had only just happened. And again, he stopped playing. You know, at that point, Hull were in the ascendancy and we were running from from um, uh, acting half and making really good meters. And we were actually running in that hole that he left. Shouldn't have stopped again. No, yeah, it's interesting and it, it's always ironic when we see these incidents now after what happened with Griffin and yeah. obviously we were told when that Griffin incident happened in the cup semi against Saints it wasn't stopped because it won a head injury and then obviously we saw the one a few weeks back when uh, Liam Marshall was in Cloud Cuckoo land and, and nothing happened, they just waved play on so yeah, yeah they do leave a yeah, lot which one to, is it? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. they leave a lot, lot of yeah. interpretations wide open don't they, the, the, the referees these days but yeah we're very lucky that you know those let's like say the video referee calls that we've discussed and obviously some some decisions that Liam Moore certainly missed. I mean, you could argue as well for balance that there was a little knock on in the build up to Hull's first try, but then there was, yeah. there was that tip tackle early on when Jordan Lane got his feet were miles above his head, not even a penalty. Yeah. You know, that would have been two yeah. easy points right in front of the sticks. He would have put it back over. So, yeah, I, I, it's frustrating again that obviously the referees had. I won't say an influence in the result, but they had a, obviously an influence in the in the game, and and obviously the fact that the, I mean, full time was f- eight minutes past five, so it's over a two hour game again. You know, it's forty minutes each half for God's sake, and both of them were over fifty minutes. It's ridiculous. It's yeah, that that aspect I don't like. It's just supposed to, you know, obviously they were supposed to have a part oh. of the game now, aren't we? Yeah, I mean there were a few injuries. Obviously Sims and um, Reynolds' injury as well. Um, you know, there were uh, and, and Cater as well. Um, which poor bugger Cater, Jesus. Honestly, just as just as he's found a team where he's where he's found a place and he's found a, a little niche and everything for that to happen, gutted, gutted for the lad. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I think you know three fairly serious injuries contributed to that. But I take your point. You know, it, it's it's not fast enough. Simple as. No, it's yeah, it's it's not good. But yeah, overall, I think we can yeah, you know, be pretty happy with that. Obviously, it's. Uh, you know, Derby winning, they're always sweet, retaining the Clive Sullivan Trophy, that's three in a row now, 238 full Derby. Uh, always entertaining, you think Rovers, you know, on the up with, you know, massive wins over Liam Wigan, and of course, you know, they're entertaining, 100 off a brand of rugby. Uh, despite Hull coming into the game on the back of four losses, you know, the Buckies still had us as favourites, which I think speaks volumes on how they view the two Hull clubs. Uh, I know, obviously, the Friday night game, the St. Helens and Wigan, all the... You know, the experts on the television were saying, oh, yeah, Rovers, Rovers, Rovers. But, you know, the bookies yeah. know the score, don't they? And they still had all those favourites, which, again, speaks volumes. And, obviously, we managed to get the job done. Uh, nice to see the crowd rubbing it in after all. And it's absolutely love how silent the North Stand goes when since uh, 1985 chance comes out. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, also, the whereabouts of that famous Wembley song. Yeah, you can hear a pin drop at once. Brilliant. Yeah. Do you know what? I reckon, look, Rovers, Rovers aren't a bad team. I mean, obviously, I mean, the still above us in the league for a start, you know, and I know it's the, the you know, ridiculous um, season, you know, a bit of a Mickey Mouse season and everything, but they are above us in the league and they're not a bad team. The issue for me is the window of opportunity for both both clubs, right? You look at our window of opportunity, no one is retiring at the end of this year for us. Do you know, no one is getting on. We've, we've got a young-ish team um, with some older heads pepping around it. And you could you could think that we could probably take nigh on the same squad with a couple of additions into the next two or three years. You can't say that for Rovers. You know, Hall has maybe got another year in him. Tops, I don't think you'll see much more of Sims. Um, you know, they've got they've got a team where I think their window of opportunity is 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 probably this season. Do you know, I, I don't think moving on they're they're going to be. 
obviously Lachlan Coop coming in maybe will will spark something for them. But but I think I honestly think this is their one opportunity to actually do something. I don't think they're going to be able to sustain it. Whereas with us, I can see us. You know, we're we're winning when we're not playing well. I don't think Rovers can play much better than they played on Saturday. No, I get where you I get where you're coming from. Again. You know, Rovers not as tempos have been for the past five, six years. You know, they're a fairly decent yeah. outfit right now. They've got two, two very good hookers, I must admit. I thought Matt Parcell and Jeslett, and they brought plenty yeah. of energy very to good. the table. You know, threw the ball about, chucked it about, you know, slung it about. Yeah, they're, they're a decent side. They're not, let's say, they're not as tempos as they were. And, and, and the game itself, you know, you take the video referee decisions out of the equation. Obviously, there's a little bit of frustration in some of the on field calls. And, and it was still a, a very, very good game. I, that old derby was brilliant. You could probably argue that that was the best game that so League's seen this season. That you know it was, it was high on drama. It was entertaining. It was in the balance until literally the final seconds. I mean, it had big hits. It had a little bit of you know handbags. It had some very good tries, some quality. You know breaks. You know it had a bit of everything. It was you know as a game as you see, it's a great game to watch. Obviously, if you're of a Huller Rovers persuasion, you, obviously you're on edge till the final minute. But as a neutral. I mean, you saw all the tweets come out, you know, from pundits, from fans within the game, from, yeah. and they all loved it. You know, they're all championing it, saying, "Yeah, this is the best game we've seen this season." It was, you compare it to the Saints and Wigan the previous night, where literally all Wigan and Willie Iser in particular, all they wanted was a boxing match, a kung fu match. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, look at it from a LFC point of view as well. You know, one to seventeen, no one really put a foot wrong. You know, even you know, Fash, Fash lost the ball in a one-on-one one-on-one steal and they went on to score with Vete. But apart from that, Fash was impeccable. You know, Brown did well when he came on. Lane was amazing. Swift did well. Connor did well. Farimo, two tries. You know, um, Sneed back to something like his best. Houghton, Renaissance. You know, Reynolds, fantastic. And spitting the bourbon and coke out will make him a legend forevermore. Um, you, you know, you, you look down that list and, and no one really put a foot wrong. You know, I mean, that's and that's without our best prop in satire as well, without our best go forward. Manu, Mao was absolutely incredible. Hit hard in defence, scattered them in attack, 180-odd metres, just unstoppable. And, and, you know, I think you said in, in one of your uh, match reviews, you could see the Rovers players backing off him when he was running at them and you know bloody hell that, that's that's a fantastic thing you honestly think with Manu Mau is that because he is because he always used to do that in the NRL maybe that kind of higher octane faster game suits him better and and we've just been playing a, band, a brand of rugby that, that doesn't really suit his natural game when the game's fast and furious like that and he's running onto lines and, and scattering players Mate, that was the best game he's had in the black and white shirt by 20%. Yeah, I completely agree. It was nothing short of sensational, was good old Manu. Uh, and yeah, I want to take the piss out of Rovers for backing off him because you take one look at Manu and you want to go run away and you want to shit yourself, don't you? Because yeah. it's the scariest bloke on the planet. It's ridiculous, that face. He's like, yeah, God, yeah, whatever you want, Manu. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was sensational. It really was. Uh, as for Josh Reynolds, Bourbon and Coke, I think that was a bit questionable looking at the colour of it. Um, don't want to divulge too much into details there, but didn't look very appetising, that must be said. Uh, 
and, and how's that COVID safe? Picking up something <laughs> from the great unwashed east of the of, of the bloody of the river, throwing onto the pitch and picking it up and then having a swig of it. Jesus, yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Brave man, <laughs> brave man. Yeah, as for Jake Connor, obviously comes into the game there. Uh, two traces now takes his total to. Nineteen, he's only behind Josh Drinkwater, who's obviously gone ahead in Connor's absence with twenty two now. But you know, it just shows his influence that he's had on that OFC team. It's interesting to look at those traces as well because people take a pop at uh, Mark Snead. He's got eleven. Obviously, yeah, admittingly, ninety percent of them will come from his boot. But like I say, it don't matter if you pass it or you kick it; it's still the same outcome. It's four points. So yeah, it it just shows for all all, all his uh, criticism. He's still right up there as a super league, you know, halfback and. Obviously, he takes the first receiver a lot now. Now that we've got uh, Reynolds and Connor back on the field together, and yeah. and it, you know he plays his role, and he, and he and he, as I say, he crafts it to perfection. So I was really happy with Mark Snead's performance. He got the sky man of the match. Uh, probably not surprising because ultimately his drop goal, thirty six drop goal for the club now. Six headed Gary Pierce with thirty, but uh, yeah, it just that was the difference, wasn't it? And and I get why he got it, but for me, you know, Jake Connor comes back into that side, and and what gets me oh, with yeah. Jake is it's it's effortless. It makes it look so easy, doesn't it? It's just so natural to him. And look at him slinging the ball about. It'll, it'll go short. It'll go long. It's just, it, it's just when the natural talent. Yeah, when, when you look at him as a fullback, if you're going to compare him to, to the great fullbacks of all time, which you know, I mean, probably put the cap before the horse a little bit. He's had half a season of fullback, but um, you, you look at someone like Darren Lockyer, who was who was exactly the same. He was just effortless um, and would would drift in and out of games. You know, and just inject himself when he had to, and just pop himself in the line where he had to. Um, that, that's exactly what Connor's doing. He's not, a, you know, he's not a Tedesco. He's not got that lightning speed, and he's not a he's not a Tommy Turbo who does the same thing. He's a he's he's a Lockyer. He just chimes into the line when he needs to. He's a safe pair of hands at the back. He can take a high ball, and he's positionally really aware. You know, I mean, no wonder Jamie Shaw's going to find it really hard to get back into the team. But on that note, Jamie Shaw at Hooker, he improves his distribution 10%. We've got to find that. You know, coming on with 20 minutes to go, half an hour to go, with his speed around the rock, because we've been terrorised by Lytton, because that's all Lytton is. You know, Lytton's quick and that speed around the rock. So we, we really struggle to contain him in his first two or three runs. And then when Shaw came on, Rovers found exactly the same problem. And that was really good to see. Because we haven't had that coming off the bench, well, ever, I don't think. Well, oh, yeah, general. exactly. And, and there's some marwoods there, isn't there? You know, not bad for two Mystic really Poms. <laughs> or should I say yeah. three Mystic Poms? Because uh, our uh, listener, Samuel, also writes for the cream. He wrote a piece at uh, start of the year about Jamie Shaw Ucker as well. And there's yeah. some legs there, mate. There really is. Uh, yeah, I was encouraged with what I saw. Uh, Great to see him bend uh, six foot seven, propping half in Will Nahar as well. I was like, crikey. Was that? <laughs> that was one of the best moments, wasn't it? It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, when and, and for it to be his first major involvement in the game in 10 months, and it's a defensive hit <laughs> on the biggest player in the opposition, bloody hell, that's, that's good on you, Jamie Shaw. Because, you know, he's not, you know, he, he's not an island. He knows what people are saying. He, he reads things. He'll be on Twitter. He'll be on Instagram. He'll be on the, the internet. He'll be, he'll be you know, maybe listening to this. You don't know. Um, and he'll know what people are saying. He'll know people are saying, you know, Jake Connors now our number one and he's the best fullback at the club and where, where now for Jamie Shaw and, oh, my God, we've re-signed him despite the fact he was injured. I mean, we've said it. But then to get on that field and wear his heart on his sleeve 
and to come up with the performance that he did, even you know, albeit for thirty minutes, good on him. I mean, he's done everything that's asked of him. He's done all he can do, and, and good on him. Yeah, well said. Like say, at the end of the day as well, he's only one of twenty-two LFC players to top hundred tries for the club. It's a big deal, yes. you know. Yeah. Say there's only twenty-one other blocks that have done it. Yeah, and he's still young. You know, he's not even thirty yet. Yeah, twenty-nine years old. As I say, the the analogy is that Rob Burrow extended his career at Leeds by moving yeah. to Hooker to let Maguire and Sinfield play in the halfback, and he, and it obviously extended his career at Leeds by three four years. Look at Jamie Shaw yeah. right now. He's still got three four years of his career left minimum. <laughs> There's the blueprint. Let's see what happens yeah. in this. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be a a starting nine or anything like that and he's going to be distributing you know 15-20 yard passes out to the first receiver because that's not what it's going to be about it's going to be about coming on after you know 55-60-65 minutes injecting pace into the game darting out that rope getting players to push with him because Reynolds will do that you know Jordan Lanes will do that and you'll you'll, you'll find holes in a, in a tired defence and if you do it you support the ball carrier we can go straight through the middle and, and show we'll have a field day because that's that's the type of player he is he's explosive and obviously we know that he's got speed to burn Totally. Those those fantastic New South Wales teams of the early two thousands, you know, when um, when they had Andrew Johns at half back and, and you know and and, um, and and Fittler at six, they always carried a utility back on the bench. So they'd carry a Gidley or a Craig Wing or someone like that on the bench, always. And they'd come on and they'd spell at hooker, or they'd go to a full back and let the full back go up to five eight. Or they'd, they'd come on at half, in the halves. Or they'd come, they'd come on in the wing and then just shift everyone across one. The winger would go to centre, the centre would go to, to stand off. You know, and, and they'd, just, they'd just shuffle the deck like that a little bit. And it always worked. So, you know, for, for Scholl, looking at the future, um, you know, that, that Gibley craig wing kind of thing, it bears a little bit of a closer inspection, I think. I think he could be, he could be dynamite off the bench. And, you know... You'd always, as a player, prefer to start. But coming on against a tired defence and proving you're, you're a fantastic asset to the squad, well, you know, I'd take that rather than being sat in the reserves or sat on the bench and not, not getting on. Well, exactly. And, and you know, to finish on the short point as well, you've now got obviously the sad things of the derby, and that's that Joe Kate has obviously likely done his Achilles out for the year, and, and Josh Reynolds has got a, a medial, obviously, the uh, knee ligament injury. Jerome Luai for Penrith Panthers had one of those a few weeks back and he was only out for two or three games. So touch wood, like the same for Reynolds and he'll be back soon. But if you know, obviously looking at Cass on Thursday, which again is a massive, massive game, and obviously we go back to back because we've got Salford on on the bank holiday Monday. So you've got two options there. You put Shaw at fullback, you put Con you move Connor in the half, so you keep Connor where he is, you, you go with Shaw, because he had played a lot of junior rugby in the half. Uh, or your other option is you keep Shaw on the bench and you bring Ben McNamara in. So it's nice to actually have a couple of options. Um, personally, I wouldn't move Jake from one. It's just too good and his influence is huge. I mean, why move him? Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree, actually. I think, um, yeah, I, I, what I'd do is I'd keep Shaw on the bench. He's, you know, he's only had 20 minutes of football in, in 10 months. You know, he's, he's not right to throw back in yet, 100%. Yeah, and Ben Mac... I reckon you, you yeah, bring McNamara yeah, in. Yeah. You know, you bring McNamara in, you leave Connor there, and then if anything happens and, and we're not we're not sparking, well, then you do bring him on. Yeah, you've you got the options there, aren't you? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's great that we've got options. You know, what, you know, four weeks ago, when we were in the middle of an injury crisis and we had COVID and everything, me and you were talking about, 
you know teenage debutants off the bench that you know didn't even get on the pitch because we didn't trust them enough to, to play. You know, it's nice that four weeks later we've got options. No, it's it, great. Exactly, yeah, it, it's good. Uh, but obviously, you know that rant again four weeks or whenever it was again about you know let's use squad how we've mismanaged the cap in certain areas. Sort of comes yeah. to the fore a little bit again. And it's interesting to see that Mahe Finua didn't play because of disciplinary reasons. What those are, who knows? Uh, it's yes. been yeah very quiet. Even the in the no types on Twitter have been very quiet about it. So yeah, God knows yes. what he's done. But uh, it just shows you. You said in a blog at the start of the year when you're up front the cream that uh, Brodson is no respecter of reputation as he dropped Mahe at West Tigers feed feeder club a couple of years ago for something very similar. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, in turning up late for training. It's all about you. Know, that's the thing, though. It's about ethoses and, and processes and, yeah. and systems, and you you got to respect those, aren't you? And if you if yeah. if you do turn up late, or if as I say, you do something, you know that goes outside the book. As I say, we don't have a clue what he's done here, but if it is something like that, then you know you got to stick to your values. So fair play to Brett Hodgson. It shows that yeah. don't matter if you're you know one of the highest earners at the club. If you if you step out of line, then you know we, we will discipline you, and you won't be playing. Simple as that. I think the nice thing the nice thing though was that he was he was at the game and visible. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, whereas before when we've, we've done that to players, you know, you don't see them at the game or, you know, if you have a player's long-term injured or a player's injured and, and you're worried about re-signing them or whatever and you don't see them at the game, the conspiracy theories start. So, um, I think it, it's nice that he was there and, and, and visible. Um, you know, you just got to see what happens next. I mean, you know, you can't drop Swift on, on that... Um, on that, um, on that performance, you can't drop Farima on that performance, you can't drop Scott on that performance, and you certainly can't drop Carlos, who is the player that we is. haven't spoken about yet, who was, again, amazing and silky skills and just a Ferrari in that back line. Um, you know, you, you can't drop any of those from, from one to one to seven. You know, we, we were fairly impeccable, I think. So, you know, where does Mahe get in? Do you put him on the bench and not really, no. Not when you carry a shawl on the bench. You can't put two backs on the bench. And Mahe, like we we've spoken about before, he's not savvy enough to spend, you know, half a game in the pack as a second row forward. Like some some centres can. I don't think he can. Um, I don't think Katie Scott can. And I, uh, Katie Scott, sorry, Cam Scott. And I don't think Tumavave should. So you know, he's a, you know. He, Carrying him and Farimo in the same squad, like we've said a hundred times, mate, is a luxury. And at the moment, Farimo's in form and Fanua isn't. Yeah, yeah, well said. And yeah, as for Carlos Tui, what's his name? Carlos Tumavavi. Uh, <laughs> uh, a Twitter name at Dinky Dan's um, asked a question to us, a question for Dan and Rich to discuss on this week's podcast. Who has been the best Kiwi recruit during the Super League era? Carlos must be running Richard Swain close. That is a yeah. tough one. <laughs> it is a tough one. I, I'd throw another name in there as well, and, and unfortunately we did get him towards the end of his career, but I'd, I'd throw um, I'd throw Richie Barnett in there as well, you know. Yeah, Richie Barnett, so two just... years old, were, were, were decent. Yeah, I'll, uh, obviously 2003 and 2004, but we didn't win anything, did we? You start looking at these, no, no. these two players, obviously Richard Swain... Although he didn't play in that semi-final because he was injured. In the final at Cardiff, it was nothing short of phenomenal. Should have had the Lance Todd trophy. Obviously, the charge down is, is infamous with, yeah. you know, an LSU folklore, as is Jordan Lynch charged down from this from this weekend's derby. <laughs> yes. Carlos Tumavavi, obviously, whether he's played left centre or right centre, he came to the club in 2016, played a bit of standoff in that first year. Yeah. Obviously, was a standoff yeah. for the first Wembley win. 
went back to the centres. That... You know, he came over really better known as a full-back. He well, yeah, full-back yeah exactly. A bit, a bit well. of a utility back one. He's thinking, oh, where's he going to play? But, you know, you could argue after 2016, he took over that centre spot. He's one of the first names mm. on the team sheet. Mm. Never blow a 7 out of 10. He's absolutely phenomenal. His footwork is sensational. Starting to pop up with a few more tries recently as well, which is good to see. I think that's seven for the year now. He's three short of 50 for the club now. He's got 47. You know, At the end of his whole career, he's going to be well over 200 appearances for the club. Dare I say that in 2023, 2024, when his contract expires, we're going to be talking about Carlos Tumavavi as a Hull FC legend, as we do with Richard Swain, as we do with all your... I'm not going to say he's going to be on the same pedestal as your Dave Topless's and your Knock and Norton's and your Johnny Whiteley's because they're your whole FC goats, aren't they? They'll never be surpassed. But you're looking at if you're looking at Kiwi recruits, I'm looking at Carlos right now. He's he's right up there, and it is a tough one. You see, I mean, then the day Carlos has won two cups, Richard Swain's won one. So do you, do you go with Carlos? I mean, must admit I'm very biased to the modern day squad and. I do love Carlos. He is one. Of, I literally, <laughs> if you're going to go down a favorite favorite player territory, it's Carlos Tumbavavi for me, and then it's Chris Satay. But yeah, if I was to answer the question, I probably would argue towards Carlos. Now, as I say, the volume of games that he's played for the club, you know, he's been here a, a long time. He's still got three years left. As I say, back to back cup winner. Every time he gets the ball, it looks like he's going to do something defensively. He's very strong. Doesn't make many errors. As I say, seven out of ten every week. I just love the bloke, mate. Yeah, I think I think where Carlos shades um, Swain is his longevity. You know, I mean, we signed him mid two thousand and fifteen was the was the um, announcement, and obviously he started playing for us two thousand sixteen. You know, so five years so far, and he's got another couple of two or three probably, or maybe even four. I, I wouldn't be t- at all surprised if he gets like a one year option or whatever at the end of that. I think that's where that's where he shades them because he's 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 been a better servant. I think. Um, He's quick. He's deceptively quick. Um, he is he, he, the amount of tries he lays on for his winger as well can't be can't be underestimated. I think he's you know I think every year that he's played for us he's been right up there as, as regards try assists because you know he's put his winger into space and or, or he's you know managed to turn the ball back inside to someone supporting inside like a shawl or whatever. So um, yeah, he's just he's he's a classy player, mate. He's a class apart, and, and you know he's he's very. He came very unheralded. I remember I wrote a blog at the time saying, you know, who's this Carlos? What's his face? You know, because, um, you know, people like, who is he? You know, because he had a handful of games for um, for the Warriors and then a handful of games for Newcastle. He was he was in the second second string for the for Newcastle, and they brought a they brought a team up here and played like a preseason friendly against two teams in Port Macquarie. But what they did was they played one team for forty minutes and then the other team for another forty minutes. And Carlos was playing fullback in that game, uh, pre-season 2015, and he caught my eye then, and I thought this guy looks looks the part because he's 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 a lot taller than you think. Have you actually met the bloke? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah very, big, very, big, very, isn't he? Well, he's out as well, and there was a picture yeah. that was doing the rounds with when he uh, the trial was disallowed right at the end when he went under the sticks in front of the Rovers fans, and Jeremy Shaw sort of jumped on his back, and you could see that Carlos is. You know, the physique on the block is he's, he's incredible and you sort of think why why you know why has he been so good in the FC jersey over the years and you think well he's absolutely impeccable in everything he does. You never hear him in trouble in the media. He's obviously quietly spoken, he's a family man, you know, he's well respected within the group. Everything about him just owes his class as well. And I mean you, you you're a big advocate of this. You always think about the, the person as well as the player. And I don't think you can get that combination much better than you can with Carlos Tumavavi. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's 
Yeah, and he goes like you say, he goes around, he goes about his business with a minimum of fuss. There's never a whiff of, you know, he doesn't lose his temper. There's never a whiff of of um, of scandal about the bloke. You know, he, he was he played six for us in our first Wembley win. You know, you know he will go down as a as a as a whole FC legend. You know, an immortal, I'm sure. Um, well, yes, yeah, I agree. I agree, absolutely. Week in, week out, week in, week out, he's he's standard of. You know, I think possibly, possibly right, and, and this is going to sound weird, but but stick with me. I think his consistency probably probably masks the fact how good he is. Do you know what I mean? It's like sometimes when a player is rocks and diamonds, you know, when when they have a bad game, it makes their good games look even better. Whereas with Carlos, it's so linear you know he's good performance and his bad performance there's not a lot between them you know he's never really bad but and he's never exceptionally good he's just got a really high level of consistency and that's it's what you need you know you can build a team around players like that and we are doing and we have done you know he's, he's arguably the first name on the team show i'd say and and you know if he was he wasn't as softly spoken as he is you know, I, I could get behind Carlos Tumavavi as a club captain, I really could. Well, yeah, as a role model, you know, as a as a player to look up to, sort of look at the lad who made his debut at Catalans last week, Marcus Walker. He fancies himself as a either a full back and half back or or standoff rather than half back or a or a centre. It was obviously the centre that he played in. Now we're on the opposite flank to Carlos. You're looking at a young kid like that. He's going to look up to him. He's going to want to aspire to do what Carlos has done for this club. And that's nothing. Not not to take anything away from obviously Richard Swain. Who obviously is a is a is a club legend as well. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's obviously earned that through what he did in, you know, those years two thousand four, five, six, and obviously halfway through two thousand seven before he retired. And I remember that night as well. Um, see, Sid Domic announced his retirement at a very similar time, and they came out and obviously did a lap of honour around the pitch. And obviously they both got, you know, great applause as a two keywords. I've obviously said this club really well, and yeah, it's it's just obviously a shame what happened. Uh, uh, obviously, when you, when you don't get to finish on your terms, it's always disappointing, and no one will ever take away the contribution that Richard Swain did to FC. But you know, I'm looking at it right now, and like you say, the longevity of Carlos's career at all just puts him ahead. And I think it, I think when 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 his career is finished, and when he does hang his boots up, and luckily that's still three four years away, we are going to look at Carlos Tumavavi as a as an absolute legend of FC. I think that's not even going to be in doubt for me. Yeah, yeah, and, and look to, to me that the the mark of it is is how he acts around those younger players as well. Because, you know, arguably, I don't think Cam Scott would be half the player he was. He is without Carlos there. You know, and I think, uh, you know, as an example of of how to how to play the game, how to live as a footballer, how to um, how to be a role model and how to be an example to, to younger players, I don't think we've had... I don't think we've had many better than, than Carlos. Um, and, and you know, and he's a bloody good player to boot, you know, and he's he's classy and he, he ghosts through. I mean, there was the, the amount of space he seems to get where other players are getting absolutely creamed, you know, he just ghosts through and, and just manages to chime into the line when he needs to, and he's just yeah, he's, he's a class act, and, and you know, I think you know, in response to to the tweet that asked the question, where do you think he stands? You know, Swain will always be a legend for me. You know, captain, charge down, 2005, first player to bring um, silverware to the club for, for nigh on 20 years, you know, and, and and will always be remembered for that and always be rightfully lauded for that. 
Carlos has never been a captain. Carlos has never been um, that marquee player, really. But he's never, ever, ever let us down. And he's been a match winner, arguably more often than Swain ever was. So, at the moment, I think Carlos shades it. I really do. Nah, I, I agree. I'm going in the Carlos camp as well. I know uh, another listener, John Compton, put uh, it's no debate, Richard Swain in the end. And obviously... Yeah, I know he's one of his favourites because he, he fancied himself as an hooker in his amateur playing days as well. So, obviously, he'll look up to his swearing, won't he? But, yeah, for me, it's Carlos as well. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Cam Scott again because he got the full 80 against Rovers. And, you know, he took some big hits, but he never backed down and he kept going. And, as I say, he had a contribution, didn't he? Obviously, tough carries, he kept going. As I say, he kept going. Uh, definitely had a, a role to play in that win. And good to see him get the full 80. So obviously, he's been a unused substitution a couple of times this year which is always a tough thing he's come on and had it was it 90 seconds against Leeds a couple of minutes on another day and but yeah just nice to see him get a full game under his belt and obviously he's highly rated at Hull FC and the, and the players yeah. like him as well so obviously there's something there to go on he's a footballer he's a good footballer you know you don't you don't play for England under 18s or whatever it was or under 21s or, or whatever without being he was captain of the under 16s wasn't he I think um you know, you don't you don't play at that level without without having something about you. And he's been unlucky in that when he's come in, he's been covering for you know a, a player that's legendary like Carlos or like uh, Mahe or you know he's he's been covering for a player that you that you'd look at and go, oh, it's a shame he's not playing. Oh, Josh, not playing Josh Griffin instead. Yeah, Josh Griffin. You know, we got a young kid playing instead. You know, so uh, it, it's it's unfortunate for him. He's not the fastest. Um, and I'd suggest that probably as he gets older, he'll probably end up moving into the pack and probably into the second row, loose forward. Um, he'll put a bit of beef on. But, mate, he's, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's not letting anyone down. Um, I think, you know, he's had a couple of dodgy performances this year, but the team's had a couple of dodgy performances this year, and you can never lay it on the, on the shoulders of one player, you know. Um, you know, he didn't put a foot wrong against Rovers. I thought, I, thought I thought he was really solid. And they threw a lot of traffic his way. I think they'd, they'd obviously identified that he was a bit of a weak link and they threw a lot down his side. And, and he, he came up every time, I thought. Yeah. Well, as you see, you look at the uh, the five back-to-back sets in the, sets in the first half and, you know, they didn't get through Cam Scott, did they? Obviously, it was a, you know, I could say a freakish finish from Carnost and obviously they put the kick through, didn't they? You think Albert Vetti charged over for one of the tries as well and obviously the, I suppose the, the most disappointing one from a LSV point of view was Ben Crooks's when he ghosted through the line but if you get your yes. numbers wrong and, it, and sometimes it happens doesn't it I mean nobody's perfect and yeah as I say really just went really well really good to see him get the, the mates under his belt and obviously it looks like he was going to get another run on Thursday I don't know what's going to happen with my hair but you think that Cam Scott will, will probably keep his place because I think he deserves to right now and yeah, we'll, we'll see what's what. But obviously, you know, in terms of league position as well, that puts us back in the playoff spots. It was quite simple. It was a game we had to win. Yeah. And it don't get any easier, does it? Because you think Castleford this week, Cass beat all, Cass go above all, will drop out the playoff spots again. So they've quietly gone under the radar as well, Castleford. They reached, obviously reached uh, Wembley in the Challenge Cup. But as for league, everyone was sort of thinking, oh, yeah, they don't, they don't really care about Soapley, do they? I mean, obviously they played the... What was practically an academy side against Salford, and Salford put seventy points past them. And you know, people were looking at some of the results they've had and thinking, "Oh Christ!" I mean, they've got a points difference. Not that it matters these days because they use these stupid decimal things. But the points difference is minus hundred odd. So it just shows, doesn't it? And obviously, they've won the same amount of games as they've lost. Uh, so yeah, it's good. It's going to be another huge game, and 
And you sort of look at Salford as well on Bank Holiday Monday. They're going to be licking their runs now as the first team to lose to Lee this year, who finally picked up a win at the 17th time of asking. So, as I say, Brett Hodgson was quoted in the media this morning, Monday morning, as saying there's no easy games in Super League. And, and that is a massive cliche, but it's true. Yes, no, no, hundred um, percent. I think the um, the nice thing is that it's still in our hands. You know, there's, it, we're not waiting for the results. We know that if we keep winning, we'll be fine, and we just got to keep uh, we just got to keep winning. Well, yeah, exactly. Look at you know friendly game Wakefield away, Wigan at home as well. That's going to be a bigger than that. Uh, the way Wigan are playing right now, you'd like to fancy all, but I don't know what it is with Wigan because when all play Wigan, they're always really tough. And really bloody good games as well, it must be said. But they always seem... I don't know, it's just Hull and Wigan. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a right fixture these days. And it has been for a few years now. And, yeah, you look at Wigan, you think, yeah, you, you write them off, don't you? Because they're, well, they're nothing short of a basket case on Friday night. But I, I tell you what, they look like that when they come towards us because it's never the bloody case. It's no, slightly frustrating. Absolutely but, not. Yeah, but absolutely I'm, not. And at the end of the day, mate, they're still, they're still above us on the league. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, we, we're all talking about how terrible Wigan are. They're running fourth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you ironic. Know, the, yeah, the, you know that that's that's the standard to which um, Wigan are held by their own supporters and by rugby league in general. They're running fourth and they're having a terrible, catastrophic season in their toilet. They're, they're not. They're not. You know. Yeah. Um You know, they've played four games more than us and won four games more than us. You know, so if if Hull, you know, Hull win. If all win four games that we could have played and would have played 20 games, we'd be level with them on points. And we'd have said, what a great season we're having. And we're saying Wigan's toilet because they're, cause they're finishing fourth. Yeah, it's, so you that, that's what you say. It's levels of a club, in it? And we always bang yeah. the drum with Wigan and St. Helens over here because they're the benchmark and they're usually the two teams yeah. that are first and second, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, you look at it on a percentage on a percentage basis with Wigan, then yeah, you can say that they are falling way short. Of St Helens, you know, St Helens got eighty percent win win rate. Wigan have got dead on sixty, you know. So, so yeah, they are falling shots to where they are. But I tell you what, when it gets to knockout football at the end of the year, and, and if they're in the playoff position, which they're likely to be, you still don't want to play Wigan. No, you don't. And you know, if we if we can get ahead of Rovers and go fifth, that's who we'd be playing ironically in a straight knockout game. And if we finish yeah. sixth, it's likely that we're going to go to Warrington. A little repeat of what happened last year. I'd take that and. You know, who knows, don't we? I mean, obviously it's still, you know, weeks away. We've got a bit Castleford on Thursday and again, as cliche as it is, you take it one week by week, don't you? But Yeah, and Leeds are, Leeds are looking ominous as well. Yeah, us. sniffing about, aren't they? It's very tight, yeah. you know, those last two playoff positions, fifth and sixth. Well, there's four teams going for it now, aren't there? The two old clubs, Leeds and Cass, and obviously two yeah. are going to be pretty happy and two are going to be disappointed. That's the way it is. And I suppose in a competitive sense, that's what, that's what we want to see for Super League. We don't want to see... You know, where everything's set in stone with four or five weeks to go, and it looks like it's going to go right down to the wire here. Yeah, whereas, you know, that's the way it is at the NRL at the moment, you know, because you, you look at it and you go, well, your top two are sorted, three, four, and five are probably sorted, six is more or less sorted, seventh is sorted. It's all on who finishes eighth, really, at this stage. Um, but that's that's actually become really, that's actually become really um, exciting as that race for eighth. Um, because you know you've you've got three or four teams that could still get there, which is great. Yeah, absolutely, and obviously, I said the, the top, obviously the top three are, are certain, but you've fought fifth and your yeah. sixes that's still fighting for that. There's obviously two rounds left there. Uh, yeah, it's good to see that competitiveness across the board there. Uh, uh, yeah, as I say, full full FC's point of view in Super League, it's gonna it's gonna go literally right down to the final round, and if we can squeeze any of these games in that we've missed, obviously there's Rovers away 
Lee at home, Salford at home, Warrington away. You, obviously, I like the fact that you have to play him in order because it stops fiddling. I mean, everyone would love to play Lee at home, wouldn't they? Maybe not wire away. Yes. Luckily for us, that's the fourth one, so there's three more to come before that. But yeah, yeah if we can, if, lucky, yeah, yeah, quite but lucky it's... there. But if if we can squeeze one in, be, I don't actually know. It. So if if you're LFC, right, and you think right, we've got two home games, get the two away ones, they're first and fourth. Your own ones are two and three. If you want to reschedule a home game, and obviously in that case that would be Salford. I don't know if that's if you can actually do that before your your first game, which actually is your away game. I don't know how that works. That'd yeah, be interesting right. to know that actually. But yeah, I think the fact that we we share a ground with the soccer team might actually might actually pre preclude that. You mm. know, what I mean? the the fact that we've got to play when we've got a, a ground available, never mind anything else. So, you know, the, the Alums aren't particularly going to be uh, accommodating, are they? As we know. Well, no, that's what we're not. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's gone a bit quiet on that front. Uh, read the Hull FC programmes uh, from the past three home games last night, actually, and, yeah, it's nice to see Adam not whinging about the MSC or money in his programme notes, uh, especially for the Derby one, which was good to see. Uh, yes. Do you reckon he listens? Yeah. Uh, Probably up not, because there's been a few digs in the fans in on the podcast recently. I mean, when he's going on about Soul Plague dying and he mentioned bloody merger talk and private private equity deals that obviously didn't happen and obviously yeah. explained the reasoning for them and it's probably a good job it didn't because obviously that, that's all gone to the wayside. But, yeah. I don't know, it just... It's like... I, I'll use the example. He goes on the uh, local media and he says the game's dying. The next minute he's on this Twitter page that allegedly is a genuine Adam Pearson Twitter page and he says, oh yeah, we need to be positive, we need to be this. So well, practice what you preach, then, pal. Yeah. I don't know. I like the bloke. His heart's his heart's in the right place. You, you can never say that. And obviously, his commitment to LFC. He's been here ten years. You can never question that. But I think he he he, uh, he speaks his mind a lot, and he wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think sometimes it actually gets the better of him. If I'm being honest, uh, just some of the things yeah. he says in the media, and and to be honest, sometimes he's right because you look at the game right now. It's it's not so fast. I say it's a Mickey Mouse season. It's yeah, it's, it's not shedding the game in, in, in good light. Obviously, the, the new rule interpretation is the fact that, again, we can't even get a Super League four-rounder fixtures. Uh, Warrington Catalans was postponed at the weekend. Obviously, we got one the weekend before. But, yeah, it, it's become an absolute farce again, just like 2020. And, obviously, the TV deal is uh, is alleged to be half of what it was. A lot less. Yeah, half less than what it was. So. Do you know what? I mean, there was a, there was a lottery um, jackpot here a couple of weeks ago, and it was $100 million. Um, which is what about sixty million quid, seventy million quid, and um, you know we got a ticket and everything. And I thought, you know, if if, if I win it, I, I'd probably I'd want to do something at home. You know, I'd bam away onto the board, or I'd you know I'd, I'd be a benefactor or whatever. I wouldn't, but I, and I actually thought to myself, do you know what? I wouldn't want to run the club. I wouldn't want to go to Adam Pearson and go, is ten million piss off? I'll have the club. I wouldn't want to do it because I'd be exactly the same as him there. I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth shut. I would badmouth things. I would I would try and tell a bit of truth the way I saw it. You know, I would go to the local media and say this is screwed. I would, you know, publicly feud with the alums. I would have a go at the the running of the game. I'm sure I would. And you know, at the end of the day, what you got to remember about Adam Pearson is he wasn't a fan first. He was a businessman first who saw an opportunity and became a fan later. Arguably, yeah, and I think um, I think sometimes you, you're right. I think he lets his his emotions get the better of him, which is an owner. Emotions are a are a luxury that sometimes you can't you can't allow yourself. But hand on heart, if I was in charge of the club and it was my money in there, I reckon I'd be exactly the same. I might not say the same things, 
but I'd still have that same level of not being able to stop myself saying them. No, I get where you're coming from, and as I say, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be the same because I'm sort of that same type of person. I will say what I think. Uh, that might not always be a good thing, and sometimes I might land myself in a little bit of hot water, but that's how it is, isn't it? And yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting one. It really is, and obviously it's 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 hard and it sounds sometimes to keep your mouth shut, especially when you're frustrated with, you know, the administration, or if you're frustrated, obviously with the fact that you've lost income. I mean, we've got four thousand members floating right now, aren't we? And we need them back and. It, it, yeah, it's obviously it's a tough period, but it's obviously the same for all twelve clubs right now. Where, uh, and obviously we just have to hope that you know, I always say it, but that word normality, it's got to come back in two thousand and twenty-two. And I just thought that you know, COVID, something that's in the history books, and we can move you know on with our race. Totally, mate. And I reckon he's after watching after watching that game on Saturday and seeing that crowd. I reckon he slept a lot sounder on Saturday night than he slept in months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't actually know what the crowd was. I ain't actually heard it anywhere or seen it anywhere. Um, yeah, even on the Super League website, it says to be confirmed. Yeah, and I didn't hear it. Usually you hear it on the Tannoy. Uh, I must admit, I didn't on Saturday. To be honest, at times you couldn't even hear the bloke next to you because that southeast corner was, was bouncing. And, you know, fair play. You yeah, know. absolutely. We always talk about the KCOM Stadium being solo. So, well, I tell you what, it can rock. It can when it gets going. And that was a good example of it. Well, I saw the Jenna Watson name from um, from Sky saying that the, the atmosphere was just the best she'd, she'd seen in years. You know, just absolutely had the time of a life um, just reporting on that one, you know, which is great. You know, like you said, you know, players from other teams, complete neutrals, other people just going, that looked, even on TV, that looked incredible. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I wish I'd been there, mate, but, uh, you know, lying on the couch with... Um, with a couple of beers at two o'clock in the morning was was more than adequate for me. That was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> things we, things you do when you're in there, paradise here eh? in Australia. Yes, yes. Yeah, not a bad life. Not a bad life. A uh, couple of uh, sad sad bits of news came out of the club last week. Uh, one was there. Uh, Cyril Sykes passed away at the age yeah. of 87, uh, made 298 appearances for the club, arrived in uh, 1956, stayed till 1967, championship winner in 1958, part of the European Championship win in 1956-57 as well. Sad to see as well after Tommy Finn, who passed away at the same age a couple of yeah. months back, so that's two of that, that team, and obviously Johnny Whiteley, uh, a big fan, friend of uh, both of those yeah. former players, uh, delivered the match ball, which was good to see. Still looking strong, nearly 91 years old. Nobody's still going. Don't look bad for 90 odd, does yeah, it? Looks great, he mate. Does. Yeah, it looks a good yeah. nick. Good nick to uh, just Johnny. Uh, and obviously James Lulai just spoke about, obviously, Carlos Tumavabi being a great Kiwi centre. Well, there there is a, never mind a legend, there's an immortal of Full FC, yes. James Lulai. Uh, diagnosed in the early stages of Alzheimer's and dementia. But I must admit, uh, the Kiwi trio, James Luai, Dane O'Hara and Gary Kemble are coming to Hull in December for a, mm. for a dinner and it's uh, promoted by MJK Sports. And they actually tweeted uh, up the cream and said that spoken to Dane is in good, on, good order and everything is as positive as it can be. So that was nice it's to hear. Very early stages. Yeah, exactly. Very early stages. But he's going to have a very good support network behind him and you know, Hull posted something on social media saying they're going to be right behind him and obviously they're there for anything that, that, that him and his family need. So that's good to see. And again, it just shows uh, when obviously get it right, we are a really good family-oriented club. We're really good in the community. We, you know, we're very good with our ex-players and just good to see things like that. And obviously when when them three come over in December, they're going to get a hero's welcome back. It, it would be ridiculous. Sorry. First time I've said it, I said totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you're, you're right. And... 
you know, it can't be underestimated that the impact that, that they had on the rugby league world when Hull went out and signed them because they were, you know, current test players and we went out and signed the best, arguably the best fullback in the game, certainly one of the fastest wingers in the game. And, uh, you know, Lulai was, was almost an afterthought. Um, you know, we, we were really after Fred Akoi. Um, you know, and uh, and Fred had, had signed a deal with uh, North North Sydney. So you know, we, we got Lulai and, and Campbell and O'Hara as a as a trio. And I was at the first game that they played together against Cass uh, night match at the Boulevard, which was just incredible. Um, and there's a real buzz around the place, like you know, we've got this cosmopolitan feel to us now. These are in the days when overseas players were a real rarity. You know, and for years I had a little little shield on my bedroom, um, on the windowsill of my bedroom that said, Hull FC, the team with the Kiwi polish, you know, because we, we had these three Kiwis and it was, it was unusual at the time, you know, the, the rugby league well caught up pretty soon afterwards, Rovers, especially getting Gavin Millers and your Kerry Boosteads and players like that. And then Wigan going out and signing players as well. But, you know, we, we were the first and, um, you know, Lulai was, was electric, absolutely electric. And, and, you know, most, most people, my vintage, James Lulai would have been their favourite, their favourite, certainly their favourite overseas player to play for Hull. Certainly they're probably their favourite back to play for Hull. Um, you know, I think most people, my vintage, still venerate Steve Norton as, as probably the all-time great and probably Sterling as the best halfback they've ever seen. But, you know, as a centre, if you ask anybody that saw him play to name their first 13 best Hull FC players of all time, James Lulai would be in I'd say 99% of those teams. Yeah, that's, that's fair, absolutely. Uh, a phenomenal career at Hull. Obviously, the, the clips were going on Hull's social media pages. I must admit they're on fire with that at the moment. But the, the try, the infamous try, the, the side steps where he went in and out against Castleford in one of the cup semis. And obviously, you have to look around, look at the run around, the, the part he played in the run around try for David Topless at Ellen Road as well. He was just a fantastic off the cuff player, wasn't he? Brilliant. Try at Wembley in 85, where he came from. Yeah, 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 against Wigan, yeah, yeah that was phenomenal. Uh, some some great moments, obviously, in a Hull FC jersey. Obviously, really do wish him well. Uh, as for ex Hull FC players as well, good to see Albert Kelly pop up with another try this weekend for the NRL for Brisbane Broncos. Came from nowhere as well and just hit the ball at speed and just, yeah, it was brilliant. Really, really good. And, you know, he's had himself another year there. Good on him. Yeah, fair play to him. That hasn't yeah. been easy. No. That hasn't been easy. He came across on a play, pay as you play thing. Um, you know, was sent home from training in the first week because he'd been sat in quarantine for two and a half weeks and was massively overweight. And you know, there was all the all the, the press over here was like, oh, Albert Kelly too fat, you know, come back from Super League unfit and fat and everything. It was really unfair. And he's got there and he's buckled down and he's he's been the benefactor of of the the Broncos really fiddling with their halves and their combinations and players being injured and players being released and players being let go and players not going to be re-signed next year so there's no point playing them this year and everything and he's just stood up you know you can only play when you're asked to play and every time he's played he's, he's made the difference the game where they beat the Roosters early in the season he was an absolute bloody revelation yeah it was, in, it was yeah, great. incredible yeah really good I must admit I've uh, actually enjoyed the NRL past few weeks I mean this weekend mm. you had uh, Gold Coast pushing Melbourne that was a great game on the Thursday night. Should have beat them. Yeah, they should have. Yeah, I enjoyed both of Friday's games as well. Obviously, a bit of controversy in the Penrith game with the downtown uh, call, which went against South. Yeah. Very harsh, but obviously Nathan Clear just had the game in his back pocket with those spiral bombs. Yeah. I mean, you got a bloody former Origin, former bloody Aust- uh, Australian Kangaroos player 
Sterling Kangaroos were there. When did they play? But yeah, uh, Josh Mansard, they absolutely peppered him, didn't he? The poor star, couldn't catch a cold. And, you know, I reckon arguably the best game of the, of the round was, was the Raiders losing to the Seagulls 18-19. What a game. Yeah, brilliant game, game. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a cracking game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, even the Bulldogs and the Knights, you know, that was was a, was closer than it should have been probably. You know, it took the Eels an absolute age to get rid of the Cowboys because the Cowboys really hung on. And the Roosters were run really close by the Dragons as well, you know. So there were some really, really good games, really good games. Then the Broncos beating the Warriors in that last game on Sunday. Um, you know, finally kind of putting the Warriors' season to bed, probably. And the Broncos leapfrogging over the Cowboys as a result, you know, so they're not the worst team in Queensland anymore. <laughs> Which, you know, you know, I mean, from a team that were beating all comers five years, six years ago, and probably, you know, the Wigan of our competition over here, you know, the, the team that everyone looked at and tried to emulate, you know, that is a very small win, isn't it? To say you're not the worst team in your team, you stay <laughs> after all that. But, yeah. you know, they'll take you at the moment. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's something to build on it. Uh, obviously, and a lot of people in all will have a, an eye or two on Brisbane, obviously with Albert Kelly playing there for another for another year. As for uh, Hull FC and our old connections, then, we have mm. gone for the Melbourne Storm this week. Yeah, now, I think you, you sent me a message the other day saying you could think of three on the top of your head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which were Swain, Kearney and Fenua. Um, yeah. But there's another three. Um, there have only been six players, and, right. and almost the seventh, because we nearly signed Michael Crocker. In fact, we did sign. Well, Michael we did Crocker, sign him. Yeah, then, just didn't come over, did it? Um, he's um, he's his dodgy pass came back to haunt him, and, uh, and he never actually pulled on a whole shirt, which was which was a real shame actually, because I think he would have he would have made a difference to us back then. In, I think 2008 we signed him, didn't we? No. 2009. 2009. 2009. Was it? Yeah, because we got Epilhami okay. Lucky instead. Oh, God. <laughs> a bit of a come down. Yeah. yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, almost Michael Crocker. So, actually, weirdly, three future Hull FC players were in the the foundation squad of the Storm. Right? right. Now, two, you'll go, oh, of course. And one, you'll go, really? Now, you, you're thinking probably Stephen Kearney, but Stephen Kearney was actually playing at New Zealand Warriors that year. Mm-hmm. So the three whole players that were actually in the the um, foundation squad of the Melbourne Storm were Marcus Bai, who had a brief spell with us in the late nineties. Uh, before he actually played for Hull before he played for the Melbourne Storm. Um, the second is uh, Richard Twain, um, who'd come from the Hunter Mariners and played the first se- first couple of seasons with the Storm, ninety eight. And the other one is Tony Martin. Mm. Who started? Yeah, who, who started um, in that Melbourne side in uh, nineteen ninety eight as well? Probably more famous for being a London Broncos um, player actually, but started his career at Melbourne in ninety eight. Um, played for them for three years, I think. Then went to the Broncos, then went to the Warriors and finished his career with the Warriors. So yeah, uh, I'm sorry, finished his career with us. Um, either side of a couple of seasons at the Warriors um, Wakefield and I think he played for the Crusaders as well didn't he? Did he play for the Crusaders? Uh, well, yeah he, trust in my mind did. <laughs> did he play for the Crusaders? Think, uh, Google <laughs> I, think I, I think actually he played in that last game that the Crusaders ever played Right I think uh, Okay um, Yeah um, but he certainly played for them against us in 2011 I think he's got a try as well but um, yeah he's um 
hell of a player. Um, and, and a player that, that had a long, long career for, for a lot of clubs and, and never really let anyone down. We got him right at the end of his career and, and he finished his career off with us, which was a shame, really. But uh, yeah, there you go. Obviously, Richard Swain, we've mentioned from, from a few clubs, but uh, and we've mentioned him this this particular podcast this time around as well, an absolute legend of the club. And Marcus Bay as well, who actually, uh, ironically, played against us in um, in Cardiff in 2005, playing for Leeds. Um, the other three players, the Storm players, uh, Mahe Fenua, obviously, who's a current old player. Stephen Kearney, who also played in that game in 2005. And the one which you've completely forgotten about, Sikamanu. Ah, bloody hell, yeah. He started his career there for him to Penrith, didn't he? Yes, he did. Ah, should have got that. I'm quite disappointed in myself there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll forgive you. He was a well cut yeah, winner. Yes. A well cut winner when he was at Melbourne Storm. Yeah, yes. that's not a shocker there, isn't it? Yeah, you've had an absolute Barry Crocker. Yeah, um, and the reason why I think he gets missed is because in all of these lists that you see of players, they actually call him Filiami Sikiamu Manu. <laughs> rather than just sicker you know so yeah. like, you kind of go over it and think oh no that's somebody else but yeah and um, five seasons at melbourne um and uh and um how many um, plenty of plenty of uh almost 100 appearances um and, and freely try scoring as well you know i think 90 appearances nearly 20 tries i Ooh, think for melbourne not bad for a back row. um you know yeah, I think um, um, as he slowed down and got older, had a couple of years at Penrith and then obviously the four years with us as well. Um, and 100 appearances for Hull. He made more appearances for Hull than he did for Melbourne or Penrith. Yeah, it was outstanding as well. Absolutely yeah. brilliant player for all we'll see, I know. Yeah, never took a backward step. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> something about the Manu, isn't they? Willie Manu, Seeker Manu. A little bit of Manu Mao now. Yeah, playing his yeah. best game for the club this weekend. Uh, it's definitely something in that Manu, but yeah, I'm really disappointed myself there. I should have got Seeker Manu. <laughs> that's going to that's gonna dwell on me for a few hours now. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right, mate. It's all right. <laughs> I suppose it could be worse. It could be uh, Sean Kenny Dowell, who's dummies. Uh, I think it landed in Leeds Bradford Airport after he clashed with Jake Connor at the weekend. <laughs> it's great, wasn't it? Wasn't it great? Yeah. And, you know, you look at, yeah, he's not going to be around for much longer. Um, you know, and I'd say Sims, you know, with his injuries and everything, I, don't, I think, you know, you probably see the last of him for the season. Um, and, and possibly, you know, did he sign a two-year contract with them or was it only a one-year contract? Um, and I'm not sure. You know, um, Hall isn't going to be around much longer, I wouldn't have thought, that they're... You know they need to replace some players. Yeah, they're going to be a, going to be a flash in the pan as always, and they'll be back to being tin pot again next year. And I would like to think that all will be building under Bradshaw and we'll progress even further because that's what we do. You know, obviously we've won our alleged cup. That see that was funny, right? Cup final, you've won your cup final, haven't you? Now, now boys, two thousand sixteen and two thousand seventeen were our cup finals. You lost your cup final fifty nil, and you haven't won a major trophy since nineteen eighty five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the gift that keeps on giving. I'm just while taking the piss out of them, there's um, a stupid fan account that tweeted a picture of some uh, bear droppings on a seat and tagged Adam Pearson in. They are thick as mints. Everyone on this planet now knows that the running of the MKM Stadium, the Alphabet Spaghetti Stadium, is by the stadium management company, which is obviously run by Assam and Ehab Alam. It's nothing to do with Hull FC. So why are you tagging Adam Pearson in a tweet about bear droppings? Honestly, they are thick as pig shit. Yes, yeah. Tickers bad shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, idiots. 
Yep, and on that note, obviously just good to see that the city is ours. Long may that continue. Obviously, the what not point not two percent above us in the table, or whatever it is. But we've just got to keep winning. Look at our own borders and and go against Cast on Thursday and hopefully give another good account of ourselves. And we'll see what unfolds now for the five games that we've got scheduled for this season. But I suppose we'll leave that there. And thanks for your time as always, mate. And come on, you will. Absolutely, mate. Thank you.